Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin. And I'm Will Lentz. And we are your hosts. And today we are thrilled to have Dr. Chris Christensen here to talk all about being a sexual medicine specialist. Uh, She is a primary care physician with a specialization um, with sexual dysfunction and um, sexual, you know, concerns and issues. And um, it's amazing. We talk a lot about anatomy. Uh, She has a lot of different diagrams. So if you're listening to this, you might want to check out the YouTube as well uh, because she breaks out like a penis diagram and um, a vulva and, and vagina diagram, which is amazing. And so we just get to really <laughs> dive into it. And I loved it. Like I had so much fun. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, it's, def- it's definitely one worth checking out on YouTube. I'll make sure we put like the link to this specific video in the show notes. Um, so feel free to check it out at least. Uh, you know, it, it, there's there's visuals. See the visuals. Yeah. They're fun. Yeah. And and um, Dr. Christensen is just like such a such a hoot. Uh, and she's so passionate about it. Um, and it's amazing. I did want to clarify a couple of things because, uh, you know, she she's talking more in medical terminology. And um, at one point she brings out like a vacuum because we were talking about erectile dysfunction and it's a penis pump. <laughs> I was like talking to my partner. and I was like, yeah, and there's this vacuum. And she was like, uh a penis pump and I was like oh oh yeah no I know what that thing is I just didn't put <laughs> I like didn't connect the dots um that's funny to so be fair I, I I've heard of those but I don't know that I would have been like oh clearly I see I know what clearly that is. So, it's yeah, a pen- yeah. I mean you right tell me I've vacuum, never I'm gonna be that. like yeah yeah <laughs> I get it yeah um so so clarity on 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 that and just like more colloquial (laughs) um names about it and then uh i do talk about the uh we talk about birth control a lot and potential side effects that that are not highlighted and i i bring up the the new concerns on the johnson and johnson vaccine for COVID 19 as well as astrazeneca of blood clots and i compare it to the lack of concern for blood clots that can happen with birth control Um, and i just wanted to give a couple numbers to um just to clarify what I was talking about and and to kind of contextualize it. Um, And so according to the FDA, for every 10,000 women taking the birth control pill in a given year, between three and nine will develop a blood clot compared to one and five women who are neither taking the pill nor are pregnant can also develop a blood clot. Um, And this blood clot specifically is... um, it can be in the leg and the thigh, or in rare cases, it can be a pulmonary blood clot. And the issue with the Johnson & Johnson um, is that it is a cerebral blood clot um, that, that can cause a problem and can be deadly. But um, from what I understand, it is like one and like a, a million, seven million. I'm, now I'm not even it's, finding. It's literally six cases out of 6.8 million doses or something right 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 right. so it's it's like literally less than one in a million yeah less than yeah 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 yeah. and so um i i just think it's interesting and it's important to highlight the lack of um 
emphasis on, you know, I would say reproductive care, on even understanding um, vagina owner's anatomy, the vulva, um, you know, a lot of what Dr. Christensen talks about is sort of mind-blowing that, um, you know, general primary care physicians and, and, and physicians who go through, you know, medical school don't have a lot of this training and a lot of this understanding um, and the lack of research, you know, about I would say, you know, vagina owners, um, orgasm and such like that. And I, and I think it just lends itself to, to the fact that like, it's just like default that women are supposed to take the burden for not bearing children and, and for contraception and that our, our health and the risks aren't as big of a deal and they're not as studied and emphasized in my opinion. And also in my experience of, of being a woman and going to an OBGYN, um, the lack of support, the lack of communication, especially with what I've been learning about, you know, the perinatal period of having a baby and all the potential consequences and, and what it looks like and, and what to look out for, like these conversations are just not happening. <laughs> um, and I think that this just bolsters that point even more. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You look at the, uh, the, the to, be, to be fair, and, and, you know, I think it's worth mentioning this too, um, is that you know, when I, the morning when I woke up and I saw the stuff about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, like most of the reaction, at least on the Twitter feed that I have curated, was a lot of like, hey, why don't we talk more about birth control and the effect of this? Yeah. And so like that that talking point, I guess, got out there pretty quickly, at least within yeah. some of the people that I follow. Um, and so I was, I and I had no idea. Like I, I you're, you're totally right that it's not discussed. And so when yeah. I started seeing this stuff, I was like, wow, I can't believe, you know, that part's not talked about more. Um, and, and, you know, and then I saw like friends who don't normally post stuff like that also jumping in on the train. Mm -hmm. I'm like, great. Well, at least we're getting, you know, one people understand that the less than one in a million isn't a big deal, but also like now is a good way to pivot towards talking about what is a bigger deal. One in 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully that is the direction that these kind of things can continue to go, um, of the like, all right, let's take the new story and pivot towards the important stuff. Who knows? Maybe this was just, maybe this was a one in a million chance that, that, that these kind of conversations became more popularized, but uh, but it's important, I think, to keep bringing it up. Yeah, and I think, you know, we are talking off mic of both of us have had vaccines at this point. I've had both doses of Pfizer and you have had Johnson & Johnson, Will, and we are very pro-vaccine, um, and that this fear-mongering and obviously taking every precaution, like I am not interested in anybody losing their life um, and, and having all of the, the information, but also like like talking about the reasonableness of what the risk is um and and what the reward is and 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 to not not create such a hysteria that it that it makes people who are anti-vaxxers and people who are already afraid that much more afraid and gives them more you know um more for their cause of, of not wanting to get vaccinated and not moving us into hopefully the next phase of reopening, um, which actually brings us to the second thing we wanted to talk about, which is uh, I have a lot of anxiety about the world trying, and I will say trying because I don't think we can actually go back to how things were, but trying to reopen and resume some kind of pre-COVID life. Yeah, I think, you know, I just the way you just described that we had talked uh, just made me think about this. Like, 
I do feel like there's always that adage, like you can't, you can never go back home, right? Like, I mean, the 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 idea there being like you have this version of what you think things were, and you're going to go back, and you're going to try to do the same stuff, and it's not going to be the same because everything changes. And I think, and I think there will be a huge push for that for a lot of people. And I think you know, societies as a whole will probably be like, oh, cool, we're all good. Let's go back to the way things worked. Uh, you sure. Know, you know, 18 months ago. And I, yeah. and I do think that we will have all, we will all find out that we've all changed in certain ways, whether it's just like being more socially awkward or like not, or, or like being more, or being more protective of our boundaries or more yeah. concerned when someone just is a little bit cl- too close to you. Or I just happen to have hand sanitizer in my car at all times now. Sure. Good, goods and bads. But like, yeah, I do think that there, is, it, it makes sense to have some anxiety as to what, direction things are going to pull us in once uh we get kind of the green light to 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 get back out there well and I think for me uh you know I was in such a productivity mindset and I would say the capitalistic patriarchy um patriarchal regime is all built on you know us being rats in the maze that are moving all the time and not really thinking about like ourselves and how to um enjoy life and breathe and 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 not always just be striving for that next thing more money more you know success more 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 whatever it is um Um, And I think COVID for me was such an eye-opening experience and a moment of pause and reflection and like a a forceful, like you got to stop and like shut the fuck up for a second, you know? And um, so I think I have a lot of fear coming up of, 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 yeah, having trouble maintaining that or, you know, not because I just, my body like physically can't handle what I was doing before. You know, I was working in the service industry six nights a week and um, running, 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 like without stopping. And um, so, yeah, the social interaction, absolutely. I I have no idea how to be around people and crowds. And um, as an extrovert, that's very confusing for my identity and trying to figure that out again is, is super anxiety inducing. But this also this other component of like, how do I move through a post-COVID world in this new way that I want to be and that I have been now for over a year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the the, the thing that is not going to solve this, but is the thing that I am uh, going to try and draw a bigger point out of at some point when I have enough time to think about it. <laughs> uh, I, I went out the other day, went outside, met a friend, realized my shoes were like dirty. And like I need new shoes, but I haven't had to think about my new shoes yeah. in like a, in like over a year, like getting in front of anybody yeah. and like being like, oh, I should I should have shoes that look better. And so maybe that's maybe yeah. that's the thing is like, let's take stock of also where we are now and yeah. not just think about the stuff that we were doing internally. But now, like, how do we interact with the world in a way that we choose yeah. um, and be intentional about what we're doing? Um, and priorities. I mean, like, yeah. you know, does do new shoes fill you up? I don't know. Like in that moment, I think they would have. But, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. But there's other things that don't fill me up that maybe I don't need to return to. Yeah. No, I agree. And finding, I think, navigating that is is worth having more conversations like this because I'm hearing a lot of just like, let's go back, you know. And yeah. it's like, well, yeah. But there's also like a global trauma, and it would be useful to hear other people struggling as well. So if you're out there and struggling and listening, um, please know that you're not in it alone. And uh, before yeah. you go rushing back, 
Uh, take a stock of your shoes. See if you need new ones. <laughs> really check them out. I actually had the same thought because I yeah. I don't have any like um, sandals. Like I like I have, like just tennis shoes that I've been sure. wearing and my yoga pants that I never have taken off for you know 14 months <laughs> <laughs> well not just yoga pants not just shoes your emotional yoga pants and shoes oh that's what you need to take stock of that's what i'm getting at god you are just so wise will <laughs> uh, well we have blabs quite a bit um but that's what happens when we have two weeks in between episodes there's so much to catch up on yeah. and it's very exciting but we are so excited to bring you this episode honestly it's like the, it's just such a blast so please without further ado Please, without further ado, enjoy! <laughs> Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited today. Our guest is Dr. Chris Christensen. Uh, she's a family physician who specializes in sexual medicine at the Park Nicollet Sexual Medicine and Male Infertility Clinic in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. She works with men and women and treats sexual dysfunction for both genders. She enjoys working with patients and couples to restore and enhance an important part of life. She's an active member in the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health and been a part of expert panels in publishing articles regarding management of female sexual problems. Prior to specializing in sexual medicine, she practiced full-spectrum family medicine for 10 years, and she continues to work part-time as a hospitalist at Methodist Hospital. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I'm so unbelievably excited to chat with you. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity. This is great. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to start out with what is a sexual medicine specialist? Uh, because this is a new, this is a new uh, specialization for me. You know, both of my parents are actually family practitioners. Um, so I, you know, I've grown up with within the medical community, and 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 I'm I'm so surprised to hear that there's something like new that I I don't know that I was unaware of other than like you know OBGYN or a urologist so I'd love to hear what a sexual medicine specialist is well a sexual medicine specialist is someone who just deals with patients whether they be men or women or trans um, helping them just to improve restore or, you know, whatever we need to do, their sexual function. So I'm, I'm a family physician and there's no specific training for a sexual medicine specialist, like a fellowship. So I had to seek out my own training. I, you know, spent time with specialists. I attended several conferences, did lots of reading in order to gain the knowledge that I need to do. So there are urologists and OBGYNs who some specialize in this or have it as part of their regular practice, um, internal medicine docs too. Yeah. So it's just someone who really actively basically just treats sexual problems from a and, medical standpoint. And so, you know, it's interesting you're saying you're going to these additional conferences and, and trainings. And so when you were in medical school, um, you know, is this covered? Like, are there discussions of sexual health and reproductive health and, um, you know, reproductive organ health 
to to uh, I guess an extent that that I feel like would make sense for any professional within the medical field to know um but but like as far as your training was concerned like was that a part of it to begin with well so I went to school at the University of Minnesota and they do have a sexual health course for first year medical students um so it's a very kind of general overview as an introduction so you don't get embarrassed when patients bring it up and you can say clitoris and penis and orgasm and all that stuff without blushing. Um, Not all medical schools provide that, but what I have found is that it just doesn't give us the, (laughs) the training to deal with the physical stuff. It, um, even, as good of the program at University of Minnesota was, it still didn't provide or touch on problems like pain with sex or what do you do for someone with low desire orgasm issues? Yeah, and so um, I I guess that's just like mind blowing to me because it feels so integral into, I mean, it it makes so much sense with the puritanical society that we've just like severed um, our genitals from like the rest of our body. But and so in terms of what you specialized in and what you're offering, how does that differ from a urologist or an OBGYN? Um, or is it is it in addition to those specialties and, and meant to be, um, you know, a, a complementary uh, perspective? Well, so it is in addition and hopefully complementary to each of those specialties. Um, But from what what I've seen over the years is that primary care doctors and OBGYNs, they may, well, often they're hesitant to bring up the subject for one, or if they do, then um, they may say, well, use a lubricant relax, have a glass of wine, have a date night, and it's going to get better. And that's about as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned so much more about the physiology and how the the body works and all the bio biochemicals in the brain that impact it and different things that we can do to help improve function. And we really don't get any of that in our usual medical training. And I, I, you know, I, I'm sure you can't comment for the entire medical field, but why do you think that is? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it does make sense to me. Like I said, like this puritanical, uh, you know, idea of sex is in the bedroom and it's procreative and it's meant to be between, you know, like a cis man and a cis woman and a heterosexual monogamous relationship, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you know, I, I don't know from your perspective, why, why is that? the case because that feels totally um just against every instinct in in my brain about how to fully (laughs) encompass care especially as a a primary physician who is you know overseeing your your all-encompassing care and giving you uh referrals and and hopefully tracking everything uh, along the way well, I think it's still a taboo subject, even even in the medical education world. You know, I work within a, a fairly large medical organization, and there are still patients who come to me and said, my doctor didn't know anything about this office or this clinic and what you do. So that's within our own system, let alone wow. in the entire country. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so for you personally, then, um, I'd love to hear like your journey, you know, maybe a little bit about what drew you to medicine in general, but then what, what was the impetus for making this shift into this specialty and specifically dealing with, um, you know, you know, sexual function and sexual health? (laughs) It's kind of a, an interesting journey. Okay. Love it. Not (laughs) (laughs) so, um, I'm a family physician, right. Mm -hmm. And, um, we're starting to get a little burnt out. It's a really tough job. So hats off to your parents who are both family doctors, you know, primary care is really hard. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm not sure I can do this for another 40 years. (laughs) Yeah. And it all came about honestly by a home group that I was in through my church. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, church, you know, of course we don't talk about sex. Right. And um, so it was a, a, a home group for marriages and just, you know, to have fun. And we were going through this book. And at the very beginning, the leaders asked if anybody was interested in leading a particular chapter in this book. And of course, in this marriage book, it, there's a just one chapter on sexuality. Sure. And I'm Why thinking, would you, need you know, more? <laughs> I, I'm working full time. At that time, I had two young kids. I don't have time. No, that's okay. We could just sit and listen. <laughs> And my husband raises his hand. We'll leave the one on sex. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> what does your husband do? He is a middle school band director. And he teaches um, science. He's a middle school teacher. Got yeah, it. yeah, not a doctor. <laughs> but he, he loves to um, get people kind of stirred up. <laughs> and he I like said, him well, already. We're going to do it like that. <laughs> yeah, he's feisty. <laughs> Um, so I said, well, what in the world are we going to talk about? Because the chapter in this particular book didn't have a whole lot of meat to it. Imagine that. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I went to the Christian bookstore and thought, okay, I need book. And <laughs> so we pulled together this presentation because we figured nobody's going to talk in our home group. You know, it's what, 10 of us and very much Christian. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Don't talk about that stuff. So we had, we had a ton of fun. And then, you know, so word got out that we, we led this chapter or, you know, led, led this week. And so the women's ministry leader asked me to speak at a, our women's retreat. And I thought, oh, my. <laughs> and it was so much fun, though. You know, I go to a small church, but, you know, here there are 50 women sitting on, sitting on the edge of their chairs, eyes open this big, taking notes, thinking, wow, you know, we've never talked about this before. Yeah. And at that time, it was, you know, about intimacy and marriage and relationships and things like that. But well, this is really kind of fun. And then Jeff and I went on a trip to Mexico. And, you know, we have these books, stack of books, and we're reading. <laughs> and um, we're sitting on this patio. And there's this pool that kind of goes, waiting pool goes in front of us. And there are these two couples off to the side. And um they're they're giggling about sex and we're a few years older than they are and they look it up look at us and say well we hope we're not embarrassing you and it's like really look at my book <laughs> celebration of sex <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and next it. thing you know it um I have the women talking to me got Jeff has the guys talking to them 
they're in tears because, you know, they're on their honeymoon and things aren't working and they don't know what to do. And they're thinking they're, you know, destined to this life of not so good sex. Yeah, unsatisfaction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought, wow, this is so cool. And that just really got me interested, excited. And um, from there, I was able to get some training and now I do my dream job. That's amazing. And so I'd love to hear, I, it's it's so funny to me because like the ex, the immediate image that came up in my head is um, a scene from Forgetting Sarah Marshall where Russell Brand is like teaching. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but like. I haven't the, seen that. God, I can't remember the guy, but there's, there's two people who are on their honeymoon and Russell Brand is like instructing him like. <laughs> how to have sex with her and like like to bring god like into the bed because they're religious and um yeah it's it's very funny so i'm just like picturing like you and your husband like having these conversations <laughs> like that um and so what was this uh training that you did like what what skills and tools did it give you that now you can utilize um in your in your practice um, well, I did take a few courses on sex therapy and I'm not a therapist. I'm happy to refer my patients on because to someone who does a much, you know, is well-trained and does a much better job of that. But it gave me insight into what goes on, at least from the relationship standpoint, mm. which is interesting. And then, um, as a physician, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not a psychologist because they're really good at asking you what, you know, asking their client what their concerns are and taking it from there. Yeah. As a physician, I'm trying to diagnose the issue and tell people what to do. I'm, you know, from a joint standpoint. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're trying to like kind of get it out of them and, and, and test and see what is what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And um so I went to several, there are several sexual medicine societies out there. Mm. So going to conference, first one that was just incredible. And now an active member is this International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. These are experts from all over the world. It's just incredible. And everything that they teach and do really is based on, at least most of it, is based on medical evidence and studies. So it's not just well, you know, let's mix this together and try that. Mm -hmm. So there's um, research behind it. Yeah. And then. And what I were the things that you gleaned from from that? I, yeah, I'd love to hear about the rest, but particularly with women's sexual health, um, and and for vagina owners, you know, I think. I, I I was just talking to a friend last night about like the lack of education, the lack of understanding on what the pelvic floor does and and possible complications of pregnancy and and, you know, aftercare and 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 such like that. And so, you know, I'm wondering what what was being talked about in those seminars and that that's supporting you with dealing with women's sexual health concerns. Um, well, it was just really eye-opening because they were talking about things that I never learned in medical school or residency or came across, you know, in my early part of practice. But the fact that the vulva, you know, outside the vagina, but within the lips, 
is so rich with estrogen and testosterone receptors so that if women have low levels of these hormones, they encounter pain, dryness, impacts, arousal and orgasm. No, nobody ever told me that. Mm. Um, and the biggest factor, especially for young women, is birth control pills. So birth control pills, you know, we've known that it affects our hormones and it's great for contraception and it's great for acne and controls your periods and things like that. But in a, in a, some, in a few women, it can have such an impact that, you know, I've, I've seen women who have so much pain, they're not, they're not able to have any kind of penetration or touching their vulva because it hurts. And you're saying that's because specifically from birth control, like low hormone levels um, that are, are not being received by the re- those receptors in the vulva? Correct. Correct. And, and that, that is, tissue gets really angry. Got it. And so does that cause like low lubrication? I mean, what are, what are the consequences of that? Yeah, so it causes decreased arousal, so you don't get the warm and tinglys. It causes decreased lubrication, so the vulva is, you know, that area is very, very dry. Mm. You have pain with penetration, which classically is described as stabbing, burning, ripping me apart, or shards of glass. So if that's supposed to be part of the sexual experience, you know, it makes it really tough to enjoy it. Yeah. And if it gets bad enough, I've seen atrophy where there's thinning and shrinking of the tissues and in is young that, women. Is that from from the birth control or is that from like, you know, attempts at penetration or, you know, sexual activity that then cause like ripping and because there wasn't these other natural functions that help those processes to feel good and, and to to not cause tearing and such um it's from the birth control oh wow yeah yeah no it doesn't do it to everybody because obviously billions of women have taken birth control over the years and most do just fine so it's just a small percentage who have a huge impact um but then trying to grin and bear it and continue through it because that's what we want to do that's what we think we should do you know my my partner really needs it, really wants it. I want to do this for him, yeah. for her. Um, it, um, it has kind of a neuroplasticity effect on the brain. So then your brain responds by these uh, n- uh, nerves becoming even more sensitive, producing more nerves. So then you got more pain. Oh, wow. And it's a crazy vicious cycle. And then you get that muscle memory in the in the pelvic floor muscles and you know women say they brace for impact right so you can't relax and enjoy it Mm -hmm. yeah um and so what you know i'd love to talk a little bit about birth control um and and i want to hear more about the things that were eye-opening that you 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 learned here because it's so interesting one of the things i think that um somebody pointed out recently and and maybe you can talk more to this is not necessarily um uh, necessarily like sexual health but i do think it's interesting that blood clots are a potential side effect and and um issue with 
birth control, right? Like it, that is mm-hmm. uh, uh, something that is something that you're told about, etc. And that the risk of blood clots is relatively, I mean, it's not like a low percentage, but that the AstraZeneca, which is one of the new vaccines in um for COVID has like a relatively low blood clot um, level and yet they're making like this huge deal about it and it's like but nobody's talked about the fact that like women put this thing in their bodies all the time um, and has a high risk of blood clot and it's not like global you know news and how how indicative is that of like how we treat sexual health yes <laughs> Totally. There probably wasn't a question in there. It was more like I just was like, we got to just put this in there. Um, Yeah. And so what what other, um, you know, so how do you first of all, how do you deal with with even, you know, unpacking that birth control is potentially the cause of something like that and then dealing with the trauma and after effects of what that really causes, um, because it sounds like it can have so many consequences especially if it's gone on for a long time yeah well and then first let me say that it's the birth control pills patch and the nuvering that are most likely to do that like the uh, nexplanon implant or the iud's generally don't oh, okay okay so i don't want everybody to think oh i can't use any kind of birth control. sure 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 yeah um what was your question <laughs> Yeah. So, um, how, you know, how do you identify that it is oh. the underlying cause and then what is the process of actually dealing with it since, you know, depending on how much time you've been on birth control, um, there are like trauma and, and a lot of unintended consequences. So when we see a patient in our clinic for the first time, we get 60 minutes for the initial consult which is great, you know, because usually if you're going in to see your primary care doc or an OBGYN, it's, it's definitely not 60 minutes. Yeah. And so we have to ask lots of personal questions in a very sensitive manner because we want everybody to feel comfortable. Um, but, you know, so it's not just birth control pills that can impact it. There are so many different things that impact sexual function. Um, so we're asking about relationship, digging into their medical history, Mm. their medications, if they've had any trauma or any surgeries. So anything like that, even, you know, job stress or having kids at home and trying to juggle all of that, it can be very difficult. And probably one of the most common uh, presenting symptom or concerns that people come in with is low desire. So when we have to, you know, have to dig into all of that, it may not even be desire. It might be because they have pain. And of course, you know, that pain is driving down their desire because who wants to have sex when it hurts? Sure. Yeah. So it means asking all kinds of questions, doing a physical exam, even if, if it's just desire and they say, no, I don't have any concerns about pain or lubrication. We still do an exam with patient's permission because, you know, they may have been dealing with this pain ever since day one and just mm. think that that's normal and figure they have to deal with that. And now they're coming in because their desire is low. Right. So if we treat their pain, then the desire often gets better. Got it. 
it often um, we often check lab levels too, hormone levels, just to see where they're at. And so, in this, um, in this, uh, when when you bring patients in, um, what is the exam? I mean, are you talking about for vagina havers owners? I would imagine it's like a pelvic exam, and then for penis owners. I don't know, some kind of inspection. I guess I'm not quite clear. <laughs> I haven't had a urologist on yet, so I'm like, what do you do with it? Just like, I don't know, move it around. <laughs> Grab the balls a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, kind of. All for a reason. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, but for a female, um, I spend most of my time just looking at the external vulva because that, especially if they're having pain or arousal problems, that's where the issue is. Mm. You know, so we have the advantage of having a scope in our office. The OBGYN will call it a coposcope because that's what they used to look at the cervix if there's an abnormal pap smear. Got it. And it kind of magnifies the view. Yeah. Um, but we call it a vulvoscope because we're just looking at the vulva. Mm. And, uh, there are a lot of details to be found in the vulva, which we're never, ever, ever trained to look at in, in medical training. Yeah. And so um, what are you looking for? Because, I mean, certainly, even when I've had, you know, a pap smear or I go in to get a pelvic exam at the OBGYN, like, there's very little emphasis on the vulva. I mean, it's very, like, internal in the vaginal canal, the cervix, et cetera. Yeah. And then they, you know, check the size of your uterus and your ovaries and say, you're good. Right. Um, but when women have sexual concerns, we have to take our time and I'm going to get my little pelvis model here. I love it. I love that you have little toys and diagrams. It's amazing. <laughs> so this, I recently acquired this from Amazon, but yeah, you know, so we start at looking, say the pubic hair, which oftentimes is absent now, but in women who haven't shaved or lasered their pubic hair if it's decreased it can be a sign of lower testosterone levels so, oh interesting sign number one yeah then we look at the labia majora and making sure no lumps or bumps or tenderness or anything and the labia minora you know the little lips here yeah um typically the labia minora should stick out or protrude until they meet down here at the very bottom okay at posterior foreshadow and at the what what did you just say it's the posterior foreshet 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 yes foreshet okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah and women who have experienced atrophy for whatever reason whether it's you know birth control pills or menopause or skin conditions those labia minora actually can shrink mm. yeah um, I know a lot of women have surgery because they think, you know, theirs aren't very pretty. They're not symmetric. They're too big or whatever. Um, right. I feel like we're often presented with one type of, uh, <laughs> vulva and that there are so many, so many types of vulvas. Exactly. Exactly. And they're all normal yeah. and yeah. they're all normal. Um, and then we go in to look a little bit further inside, just separating the labia minora. Mm -hmm. And for women who are experiencing severe pain, they can't even tolerate to be touched. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you have pain, it often increases the anxiety and the fear and the anticipation, and they just clench up 
and you try to touch them and their knees close together. <laughs> so it. it takes time. Yeah, so we may not get through our initial exam for a few visits until we can kind of slowly, carefully, and not traumatize our patients and examine them. Sure. So in the introitus, like that area right outside the urethra mm -hmm. and the vagina, I'm going to switch to my, I like visuals. Yeah, for those of you I, listening, if you want to tune in on YouTube, uh, we have some amazing diagrams here so you can get the full visual effect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So here we have a yeah. picture of the vulva. But um, the most sensitive part of the vulva is right inside here. Like it's right inside the, the inner lips, the little lips, but outside the opening of the vagina, you have little glands in there that if they don't get their hormone, <clears throat> excuse me, the hormones that they need, they don't work well. They get red, they get angry. Mm -hmm. And we do what we call the cotton swab test. So you literally take a cotton swab and very, very gently touch these areas in here. And for these women who are really struggling, they jump off the table. Oh, wow. 10 out of 10. Yeah. And it's just this fine little area right there that is so, so sensitive. Those glands produce the lubrication for just every day, every day, you know, doings so you feel comfortable mm -hmm. like I've had women uh postmenopausal women who've had you know breast cancer or not but this area gets so dry they say you know I can feel my vagina I can I know it's there so for those vagina owners you know normally before menopause you don't notice it right right but when it gets really dry it hurts they walk, it can impact exercise. And they say, you know, just turning to get out of the car is irritating when that area is so dry. Yeah. Yeah. So we take our time to look at this. We look at the clitoris. So examining the clitoris, you gently retract the overlying skin, the clitoral hood, and we should be able to retract it all the way back. So you can see, you know, the size of the, the glands of the clitoris, you know, it's about the tip of your pinky, but sometimes there's atrophy or adhesions where the skin sticks to the clitoris and you can't pull it back. Mm. When that happens, you can get inflammation under there and it can be very painful. So touching the clitoris or stimulation is painful. Mm. Um, back to this, this is the vestibule right outside the vagina. Um, very sensitive tissue. It, the equivalent tissue in the man is what lines his penis on the inside. Mm. So when I'm, you know, talking to my patients and hopefully making it a little bit lighthearted, my touching this area is obviously very sensitive. I want you to go home to your partner and say, "Look, this is what she did to me. I'm going to put this Q-tip up to your penis and see sure. how he likes it." Sure, sure, sure. Exactly. It's like sounding. Yeah. 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 So, um, and then. You know, we rarely use a speculum to look inside the vagina because when it comes to pain and orgasm issues, most of the um, where we need to be concerned is out here on the vulva. Mm. And so then what are like if it's not birth control, what are other common causes uh, that, that you can address that can help alleviate some of these symptoms? Well, so you get a similar type of thing happening in women after menopause. Okay. Those estrogen levels fall and the tissues get thinner and drier. And we call it the genitourinary syndrome of menopause. Mm. 
Hmm. But that's another thing that we just don't talk about, but is so common. Um, There was a study that came out said uh, like four years after menopause, which is 12 years after your last or 12 months after your last period, 47% experience pain and dryness with sex. That's high. And that, and that, uh, yeah. And that's just three years after menopause. How about five and 10 years later? Unfortunately, it just gets worse with time. You know, our hot flashes, night sweats get better, but the dryness and the pain and tissues in the vagina actually shrinks in size. That only gets worse if we don't address it. And, and can you talk to, speak to why that happens and also then what you can do about it? I mean, I hope it's not just like a hopeless cause. It doesn't sound like it. But. No, it's not a hopeless cause, but we got to, you know, treat it accordingly. Yeah. Um, we use our, our magic cream as a compounded estrogen and testosterone cream. It's compounded. So there's no unfortunately no real prescription that is available at your normal pharmacy but we like to add in you know and studies show that adding in just a little bit of testosterone makes all the difference in the world Mm -hmm. um most primary docs and gynecologists may prescribe the estrogen cream which helps but it's just that testosterone that gives it an extra little boost Mm -hmm. and also we have to remember to treat the vulva with a little cream. So if women are using like a vaginal estrogen ring or there are vaginal tablets that you can insert in there, they do a good job of treating the vagina, but it's not enough to impact Mm. out here, uh, you know, the external vulva where you encounter the, the pain and dryness. So using the localized hormone creams, they're very effective. And not everybody can use hormones though. So starting with a vaginal moisturizer, there are several products on the market. Um, they can be effective. So, but you got to use them regularly, every two or three days, consistently, not just right before sex, because that doesn't help. Got it. Yeah. And, and then- what what actually happens in menopause that causes this? Um, well, your ovaries get tired. Right. <laughs> So, so they um, stop producing the estrogen or estrogen levels drop to a, a really low level. Mm-hmm. And it's when that estrogen level drops that um, you get the changes causing problems. Got it. Um, and then, and then I want to talk just briefly to, um, you know, pregnancy and repro- I do deal with, with, women in the perinatal period um who are you know pregnant or after pregnancy um and that period because uh to me that is woefully <laughs> uh undertreated <laughs> um and undercared for you know i feel like a lot of times it, the baby pops out and it's all about the baby and the you know the mom gets r- rather neglected and so i'm curious if that is a piece of 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 what you work with as well um, absolutely. Yeah. So we work with women of all ages in all stages of life. Um, 
we're a little bit more limited on what we can actually treat with during pregnancy because we have to be careful with those with the hormones mm -hmm. but working with women and encouraging to use some sort of moisturizer you know without the hormones to uh, alleviate some of the dryness um talking about you know changes in their body with the sexuality and your moods and you know without that comes with all the hormone swings um absolutely so working with them talking about the importance of a lubricant mm -hmm. and there are good lubricants and not so good lubricants out there so women who have really sensitive sensitive skin sensitive tissues certain products in these lubricants can be very irritating and actually make the problem worse mm. um yes yeah, so we talk about good ones to use and do you and... have recommendations if people are taking notes no not like me over here. Just like, let me write down some good lubricants. <laughs> well, the three ingredients that we encourage people to uh, avoid. Yeah. Glycerin, mm -hmm. parabens, and propylene glycol. Okay. Okay. Those can just cause more irritation and actually damage to the mucosal skin. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the arousal lubricants and the arousal products, they can also cause irritation. So you have to be really careful and um, actually I recommend avoiding them if you're having pain. Mm. Okay. Yeah. As far as further recommendations, you know, you've got the water-based, silicone-based, hybrids, oil-based lubricants. Um, a lot of that is personal preference. When, if you're using a condom, you want to stay away from the oil-based lubricants. If you're not using a condom, even just coconut oil is a wonderful lubricant. Right. But that can cause yeast infections, right? Like if you're, if you're more prone to that? If you're prone to it, it can. I mean, coconut oil does have this anti-infective, anti-fungal component to it. Mm. But you're right. Some women do get more infections. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, everybody's so different. <laughs> I think that's, I know. you know, what's like the beautiful thing, but also I feel like a lot of um, medicine that I've experienced is very like generalized of like you get to fit into this category and then I treat you as such as as opposed to like an individual human being who has an individual experience um, and needs the care tailored to them. And so then as far as like when, you know, postnatal after you've given birth is there support I you know I um the amount of things that I've heard that people encounter and and also bringing on like pelvic floor physical therapists and some reproductive psychologists um, and psychiatrists um it feels like there needs to be a lot more support. And so I'm curious uh, what you offer as well and what you encounter that you can help with. Well, again, it's that tailored individualized care for what our patient is struggling with. Yeah. Um, and it usually means involving the sex therapist or re relational therapist or counselor. Pelvic floor physical therapy is wonderful to mm -hmm. help get your muscles kind of back in shape because they don't, they've been stretched beyond belief yeah. with yeah, with a vaginal been delivery. Used and <laughs> perform their function. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so and if 
the patient is breastfeeding, then you know the estrogen levels are low and remain low for a period of time. So if she's breastfeeding, then uh, prescribing just estrogen cream because we don't want to give them testosterone with that can be very helpful. Hmm. And you know what we find with our patients in our clinic is that being able to do this exam with the scope, and I don't think I mentioned it earlier, is that there's a monitor on the wall. So the patient gets to watch everything that we do and what we see. Mm. And so, you know, oftentimes they've come to us after seeing several providers who say, oh, there's nothing wrong. You're fine. Just go home and relax and use more lubricant. Then they come to us and we do this detailed exam and say, no, look at this redness. Look at this area. It's really pale. It shouldn't be pale. And when I touch very, very gently with the Q-tip, it shouldn't hurt. But they're reporting 10 out of 10 pain. So it's, it's validating. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. Um, I could talk about this all day, but I do want to talk about penis owners and penises. And so I'm curious about, um, you know, is it a similar exam that you do with penis owners and, and what are, what are the things that you're looking for specifically with them that you can, um, offer in addition to a urologist and, and, and maybe it sounds like even more, um, more specific care and, and more tailored care. So for penis owners, I like that term, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get my other newly acquired toy. It's Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a pelvis model and it kind of comes apart so you can see inside. But um, just like with women, we, we start with a detailed history because say that, you know, most common thing they're coming in with is erectile dysfunction, mm-hmm. right? Other, other issues, premature ejaculation, low testosterone, low libido, that kind of thing. Um, so asking all those questions, trying to dig at the root cause of the problem. If we have a 25-year-old man who's waking up with a morning, a 25-year-old penis owner, <laughs> waking up with a, um, a firm erection every morning, and when he masturbates he gets a great erection but yet when he's with his partner he Mm. can't get or obtain an erection well then that tells us that his his plumbing is working just fine you know there's adequate blood flow and it's probably performance anxiety or relationship issues or something else going on that needs to be dealt with with one of my colleagues a sex therapist okay um when it comes to doing the exam we're examining the penis and making sure there's no scar tissue. You know, now there are commercials on TV for Peyronie's disease and the new treatment, Mm -hmm. but that's that scar tissue or lumps or bumps, which can cause curves or bends in the penis Mm. and make erectile dysfunction more common. Okay. We're also, you know, examining the cause by, sorry, I don't quite know. (laughs) Peyronie's disease is, um, it's scar tissue and we don't know exactly what causes it. It may have started with just a little bit of trauma, micro trauma, you know, with intercourse and say the penis maybe is a fully firm and it gets bent and tweaked a little. And then the body responds by causing scar tissue. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, examining the testicles, just making sure that they don't have any lumps or bumps or, or 
tenderness because testicular cancer is um needs to be you know checked for just like we need our breast exams sure um checking the what we call the spermatic cord so the area between the testicle and the the abdominal wall there are lots of blood vessels veins arteries and nerves so we want to make sure that um, no abnormalities there because some men who have what we call varicosities mm. or an enlarged vein right. can impact sperm and testosterone. Can that impact like um, fertility and the ability to to conceive or like I guess to to expunge sperm <laughs> into a partner <laughs> potentially? <laughs> yes, it word, definitely. I don't know if that word worked, but <laughs> you get it. That's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> Spell. Yeah. Yes, it can. It can. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because you know the testicles are are lower than the body wall to help keep them cool. So if you don't, the the varicosities can affect the blood flow, so you don't get the optimal environment for the sperm. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you check that, and then are there other places that you investigate? Well, if we're concerned about nerve function, we have, I dropped part of my penis. Oh, God. (laughs) Just a normal complaint, you know? (laughs) I got to keep all that, all that shit together. (laughs) Um, So as far as the other parts of the exam, you know, older men, they, they have well, everybody has a prostate, but as men get older, this gets bigger and often that causes problems. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's only one way to check that is with the rectal exam right? to uh, examine the backside. Um, oh, I was going to say with the nerve issues, we have a biophysiometer, which mm-hmm. is a device that is calibrated. So it measures sensitivity to vibration. So checking the sensitivity in, in different areas of the penis to make sure the nerves are working well. Oh, and we can do that in females too, to check our nerves. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so what are the like the most common things that you find or, or, or you know, the things that you can actually address that, that, I don't know, aren't what you typically hear or that are, you know, I feel like there are so many things you've talked about in terms of vagina owners and vulva that's so different than what I've heard before of like the testosterone and estrogen that's within the vulva and so are there things for penis owners and for penises that you know just don't get talked about because we I don't know we think about just erection and ejaculation and like that's it um well exactly and a lot of times those don't work very well Mm -hmm. so we we do have several tricks up our sleeve um, you know, going to the urologist or the primary care doctor, uh, they're going to get Viagra or Cialis or one of those other medications. First and foremost, we, we talk about and make sure that they're taking it correctly. Because mm. for Viagra to work best, you got to take it on an empty stomach. If you take it with food, it just doesn't get absorbed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to wait 30 to 60 minutes for it to be effective. It doesn't work right away. And the other misconception is that men think that you take the pill and it's supposed to work automatically. Penis owners, sorry. (laughs) Um, So 
they they just don't know that you take a pill and you got to have some stimulation in order for it to work. Mm. So talking through all of that, sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Um, other options, we have a vacuum device, which, you know, it's kind of funky. Yeah, it looks like a, <laughs> a, like a long hair dryer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a nice long cylinder. Yeah, like a 2B hair dryer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, penis owners will say, well, they'll laugh, look at it and say, mm, that's not big enough. And then we all laugh because... <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, Yeah, usually that's not the case. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it works by uh, pulling blood flow. I'm just pumping it up right now. And then you can see, can you see how it's affecting my hand? Yeah, it's like, yeah, Yeah. sucking part of your hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then there are rings that go on the outside. So you put the ring on first and then you pump, you put the ring on the outside of the cylinder, that is for our audio audience mm-hmm. you pump it up and then you slide the ring off at the base of the penis it can hurt oh. <laughs> but but not always i mean um because the ring has to be very snug in order to maintain the the blood flow right okay. and what is the what is the purpose of that it's really just to get an erection it pulls the blood flow in so the penis fills up with blood and you got the erection Oh, okay. So, so penis owners can use that even like before, I don't know, you know, trying to have sexual activity or penetration or something. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we, um, you know, for men who are really struggling with or have been struggling with erections for a long time, or if they've had their prostate removed because of prostate cancer, you know, that causes erectile dysfunction a hundred percent. Oh, wow. Um, for a short time, you know, so many men do recover their erections uh, over time, but it's sometimes just not the same. And what is the connection between the prostate and an erection? Well, um, the prostate is a gland right below the bladder and its function is to produce and expel it, it well, produces about 70% of the semen, the ejaculate, mm. when, men, when men reach orgasm. So it doesn't ha- necessarily have a direct impact on the penis and the erection itself, but it's involved in the whole sexual response. Oh, okay. Okay. And then the reason that guys have erectile dysfunction after the prostate is removed is because that there are nerves that surround that prostate and they get dinged in the process and it just mm. takes time for those nerves to recover i see i see okay that makes total sense yeah. sure um so other options that we can offer men for erectile dysfunction this is a medication called muse and the medication is a tiny little pellet that gets injected or inserted in the tip of the penis and the medication gets absorbed into the muscles and it leads to an erection. Oh, wow. Yeah. And do they, they self-administer that, I imagine? Exactly. And it takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes for it to get absorbed and to get the erection. But like the, the pills like Viagra and Cialis, they work in 60% of men in general, not 100%. 
you know, those old commercials used to imply that it's going to work for everybody. Right. It, it doesn't, unfortunately. So the, the Muse, that last medication, it, it works in about 70 to 80% of men. Oh, wow. And does it last the same amount of time? Like, I know Viagra can last <laughs> a long time, potentially, as, like, a side effect. Um, it can, but, you know, that usually doesn't happen. Sure. <laughs> um, yes, one of the, it's a bigger risk for that priapism or the erection that lasts four hours or longer. It's mm. a bigger risk with that intraurethral suppository. Oh, got it. Ooh, what a time. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of men doing injections Hmm. now that sounds really awful and guys you know they'll cross their legs and cross their arms and shut down some of them turn pale when i bring out the needle sure but it's a teeny tiny needle that it's it's an insulin syringe you know people give themselves insulin shots all the time yeah and it generally doesn't hurt yeah and um these injections we can usually get them to work in 80 to 90% of men. Wow. Yeah. And this actually hurts a lot less than putting that thing in the tip of the penis. I imagine. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it's still tough to get um, guys convinced that this is worth trying or, and if, you know, they're terribly scared of needles and they faint at the sign of a needle, obviously that's not going to work. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But this works really, 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 really well. Yeah. And we got to make sure we don't use too much medicine because that would give you the erection lasting four hours and have, make you go to the ER. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dreaded four-hour erection. <laughs> yeah. And guys, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I'd go show all my friends and neighbors. No, 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 no. It hurts. It's not yeah. a good thing. Yeah. And if it's not taken care of, it will kill your penis. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't yeah. And so then do you have a discussion about, you know, how pleasure can be achieved other ways, like, you know, stimulating the prostate and that, that, uh, I don't know, penis owners don't only have to have this sort of like vertical linear um, pathway to, to pleasure. Is that part of your conversation at all? Um, it is. Probably not as extensive as with the sex therapist. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, we do talk about the importance of thinking of intimacy as much more than just intercourse. Right. Because both vagina owners and penis owners think that, well, that's the way you got to do it. And if I can't do it, life is over. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So no, we most definitely talk about other ways of uh, enjoying intimacy and connection and not just the good old-fashioned missionary yeah. position. Penetration, PMV. Um, well, this has been absolutely amazing. I've learned so much. Thank you for bringing diagrams and and, and so much education. <laughs> like, what a fun little uh, sex education that I feel like every single person should have. Um Seriously, thank you for your time. How can people find you if they want more info? I know that you're in Minnesota, so I don't imagine that you're taking virtual clients. But um, if people want more information and and they want to reach out, is that an option? Well, unfortunately, in our you know, not unfortunately, but the way it is in Minnesota, we um, we can do virtual visits, but only with Minnesota residents. In Minnesota, sure. Yeah, and um, we do take insurance, 
Some are covered better than others. And we yeah. try very hard to use diagnoses that are covered by insurance. Got it. So that way it's, it's covered. Um, otherwise, you know, our clinic is located just outside of Minneapolis. Park Nicollet Sexual Medicine and Male Infertility. And is there a place to go if somebody wants to see a sexual medicine specialist across the country? Is there a resource available to find other practitioners like yourself, other physicians? Absolutely. So ISHWISH, the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, they have a website and on on the website is a finder provider button. Mm. So it's Ishwish, I-S-S-W-S-H dot org. Okay. Um, and then find a provider. So, and on that website, you're going to find medical providers like me, as well as sex therapists and pelvic floor physical therapists all over the world. Amazing. Um, well, this has been such a delight. Seriously, thank you so much for your time. Yay! Well, thank you. This has been fun. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> I know. It's been a I minute. Was, I was gonna go longer, and then you're. I wanted you to like keep going. So... I was ready to <laughs> ham it up. Um, that was amazing. I'm obsessed with Dr. Christensen. I just like think she's so cool, and I had so much fun chatting with her. I hope everybody feels the same. Um, we are gonna put in the show notes where you can go for resources to look for a sexual medicine specialist in your area, since she is located um in Minnesota and can only practice in Minnesota. But these people are all over the country, although I think they're are not a lot of them um but they're a great resource and and yeah uh thank you so much for being on the podcast Woo-hoo! as always please follow us on social media at finding my young podcast on both instagram and facebook um We are doing way more behind the scenes. We're doing um, some Instagram lives coming up, Clubhouse. I'm going to be on a couple different podcasts talking some juicy stuff. So so definitely um, stay connected with us. We'd love for you to be a part of our community on there. We'd love to hear from you. Slide into those DMs. And we are on YouTube. So if you're listening to this and watching this on YouTube, Nice. Hit that subscribe button. Um, and if you're not, uh, please go and check it out uh, and subscribe, especially this episode. Like we said, there's so many visual aids. Why wouldn't you want to delight your eyes and your ears? Exactly. And um, you can also see my face react to Jerry's oh boy that, uh, <laughs> yeah. at the end there. So multiple reasons to check it out on YouTube. Uh, as always, um, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and shoot us an email if you want, findingmyyum at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Please share with friends. Um, we are growing our network where we are doing every other week so we can bring the top um, guests and quality that we possibly can to you. And we'd love to hear your recommendations. We always take them to heart. And I've had so many guests on from recommendations. So uh, send them our way. And we love you. We're excited. We'll see you in two weeks. So stay yummy, stay connected. And we'll see you then. Woohoo!